0: What we have in our passage is one of those hard portions of Scripture. It's a passage that will likely be avoided as much as possible by each and every seeker friendly church in America or the world. It is not a passage that makes many friends through preaching it, but we need to be faithful to Christ and His Word anyway, because it's here. It is a passage dealing with our accountability to one another as the body of Christ, as a local church. This is what this passage is all about. You see, where we get into trouble, folks, today, is we are so, we don't, you know, we think, we'll, we'll take the idea of, oh, I'm, I'm, God made me and there's only one of me, you know, and, and when he made me, he threw away the mold, and, and hope he threw away the mold, you know. Um, Laughter but uh, there's only one of me, and so I'm. In, and so what people do, though, is they latch onto that and they start running wild with this thing called individuality, not understanding that the local church is not a sport of individuality. OK? It's us using the individuality we have for the greater good and unity of the body in accomplishing the work okay somebody who's hung up on being the standout somebody who's hung up hung up on being the preeminent one and all that that person's got a spiritual problem it's 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 teamwork that is how we are supposed to be as believers and so this accountability now first things first And let me say this as we start talking about some of the hard things of Scripture in the passage. Because they're hard. They're hard things. And they're hard, you know. And and, you know, we may even tonight, we may even go through and believe and say, yeah, that's great. But there's not a one of us who would say, I can't wait to be able to apply this some way in my life. (laughs) Because this hurts when you have to apply what's here in Scripture. Now, first things first. Let me say very clearly that the Bible teaches that getting to heaven is not based on how you live. Whether you live righteously, whether you live unrighteously, okay? You don't go to heaven by, doing, by being good. You don't go to hell by being bad. We are sinners by birth. We are sinners by nature, okay? We are born sinners, and we need a payment for our sin. That's what the problem is. We are born separated from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin, and so let's understand that. But what God did, because he understood we could not save ourselves, okay? This would uh, represent you and me, and this is our sin. Here we are, as I've said. We're all sinners. Yes, God loves us, hates our sin. To get to heaven, we have to be sinless, and none of us are. Therefore, none of us, if it was left there, none of us would go to heaven. Not a one. Not a one. I say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. You're not perfect, if you're not perfect, you're not good enough. Boy, that's the one that made me sweat bullets when I started understanding that. God says, not only is my sin punishable, but it needs to be punished, it will be punished. And if I if I'm gonna pay for my sin, the wages of sin would be death. I'd be lost forever in hell paying for my sin. And that's exactly where I deserve to go. And so do you. Okay? Now, if I'm already disqualified, no amount of good works can change this, okay? I'm already messed up. I'm already flawed. I'm already separated from God. What I need is I need a payment for, for my sin. I don't need to try to cover it up to make myself look better. I need a payment for my sin. Well, that's what Jesus provided. He came to earth. He went to the cross, the sinless son of God, and he went to the cross. And when he did, Jennifer sang about it tonight, Calvary. What a, what a great, great song. He took my sin upon himself. He made the complete payment, leaving me nothing to pay for. Nothing's left. No work to be done. He did all the work. And he rose from the grave to prove it. And he says, if I will put my faith in him, he will save me by his grace. He will deliver me from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. And I can know that I am secure forever. So, Salvation is a gift of God. You look at with me at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now let me say here, okay, the Calvinists have hijacked this verse and perverted this verse today, they're saying that faith is the gift referred to here. No, salvation is the gift referred to here. That is clear from Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Not the gift of God is faith. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, you might say, well, well, don't you think though that God's the one who gives faith? Yes, He does, but He gives it to every man. He gives it to every man. Yes. Well, do, you, do you think, uh, uh, isn't it true that no lost person truly seeks God on his own? Yes, I would agree with that. No lost person truly seeks God on his own. That's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. That's why the Holy Spirit's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay, That's why we have the, the voice of creation shouting out, there is a creator who is God and you are accountable. And if we accept the light God gives us, he gives us more light. And he brings us to Christ. But that's for everybody, not just an elect few. That's for everybody. For by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, it is not of works. Verse 9, lest any man should boast. And I like that where it says, it doesn't say it's a gift, it's the gift, the gift of God. Okay? But the person who's, who's been saved by grace, all right, very important now. So you might say, I've trusted Christ. Okay, then what did God give you? He gave me everlasting life. Then where are you going when you die? I'm going to heaven. How do you know that? Jesus paid my price. Yes, he did. Okay? Can you lose it? No, I can't lose it. I'm saved forever. You're a child of God? Yep, I'm a child of God. Great. Okay? Is that the end? No, it's not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning according to Scripture. Salvation does not end with justification. It begins with justification. All right? Begins with justification. The person who has been saved by grace in the Word of God is told to become part of a local Bible-believing and preaching church, if at all Possible. I understand in some areas there there are no churches. Okay, and what do I say to those dear people who I hear from on a regular basis? There's no church in our area. Uh, In the last month, I've probably heard four or five people say we keep looking, we can't find one. I had one begging from Houston, Texas, just this last week. We live in Houston. Do you know of any churches anywhere around Houston? Okay. And uh, I haven't written them back on that yet because, to be honest with you, you know, I don't know a lot of what other churches, where they are, who they are, what they're doing out there. We're busy trying to do the work of God here. And uh, yes, we do fellowship with some other churches, but uh, not that many, you know. All of it takes time, right? All of it takes time. But if you can be a part, and friend, if there's no church in your area, here's what you start doing. I, yes, watch us, learn, but it's not a substitute for local church. Okay? Watch us, learn, but then what you ought to be doing, pray that if there's no church, truly no church in your area, then start praying that God would send somebody there. And let me say this, if you're a man, be courageous and pray, Lord, would you have me to start a church? in my area. Man alive, I just saw some tails go underneath on that one. You know, here am I, Lord, send him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? Why not? We'll help you any way we can. We'll help you anyway. You need training? We can, we can point you in directions. We can point you to all kinds of stuff that we have, that other ministries have and you can learn, and yes, you can do a church. You don't need a seminary degree to start a church. It's nowhere in the Bible. Okay? So keep that in mind. I just throw that in tonight. Here's the point. A person who's been saved, they ought to become, if at all possible, part of a local Bible-believing and preaching church. And they are to learn in that church and obey The teaching they receive. They're to learn it and obey it. That's what they're supposed to do. As a result, they will grow spiritually. They'll be used of the Lord, and they'll be blessed by the Lord. It's just that simple. That's the plan of God. Now, getting to the Thessalonian church, it was a great church, as we have seen in our study. But it wasn't a perfect church. And by the way, no churches are perfect. No churches are perfect. There were some believers in the Thessalonian church who had listened to Paul's teaching about the imminent return of Christ at the rapture, and no doubt they had quit working. They had quit working. Uh, they, man, they believed in eminency so much, they thought, He's, he is coming right now. Now listen, <clears throat> the fact that Jesus could come at any moment, doesn't mean he's coming at this moment. All right? There's a difference between the two. But they had quit working, looking for Christ to come back at any moment. As a result of quitting their jobs, they started mooching. I love that word. I love to use it. They, they became lazy and started mooching off of the generosity of other believers, And so what Paul does here is he addresses the problem and tells us how the church is to deal with stubborn and unruly Christians because these people would not do what they're supposed to do. It wasn't that they were ignorant. See, that's one of the, anybody who teaches this passage as it is they get accused of saying, well, you people are not tolerant. You people don't care. You're not loving. You're, you're not patient. You don't have grace in all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. That's not it. Remember this. The great apostle of grace is the one who's teaching this. He knows what he's talking about. Well, let's look at it. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you. Mm, there's an interesting word. Command. That It isn't. Now, you know what? If you feel warm and fuzzy about this, no, we command you, brethren, talking to Christians, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. The tradition here, it doesn't... (laughs) It's not like when we think a tradition. You know, we think in, in, in terms. Of, well, let me get just maybe a little humorous here, okay? Uh, let's say the uh, the tradition in our church. The tradition in our church is okay. The uh, uh, the Guzmans sit in the second row, right there on the aisle. That's the tra- their, that's their tradition, okay? And not to be outdone, the Kaharas have been sitting there forever. <laughs> They've worn through the carpet. No. <laughs> not not really. <clears throat> You know, and then if somebody, one, one time, they come and, and they're sitting in their, their seat there, it's, you know, now these people are these, are, these are good people and they don't get weird about that. But let me tell you, some churches, people do get weird about that. You're sitting in their seat. I mean, you know, folks, uh, or churches have traditions. Why do, you, why do you do what you do? By the way, have you ever noticed that while our services are at times similar, they're never exactly the same. We saw that several years ago. I thought, you know, we need to change this up every single week. Why? Because you don't want to be so much locked into a tradition. Why do you do it that way? We've always done it that way. <laughs> you know? Some churches, they take the offering at the, at the beginning. Now, that probably turn off a visitor. Some churches take the offering more towards the middle, like us. Some churches, I'll tell you, these these people are people of faith. They take it at the end of the service. (laughs) I've never understood that one. Never understood it. I won't go into the reasons, but I think you know what I'm saying. Here's the point. Those are all traditions. The way we think of traditions. But that's not what this is. This is stuff that's been handed down. Truth that's been handed down. So it's not, well, we've always done it that way. It's This is an established way of believers. That's the idea of a biblical tradition. So he says that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, not after the tradition, the truths that have been handed down to you, which you received of us. Okay. There are, there are those who want to limit this passage as applying to only those who are lazy. Now, While laziness is a sin, parents, laziness is a sin, remember that, okay? While laziness is a sin, God God says is worthy of withdrawing fellowship over, and that's what the passage is saying, certainly the principle would apply to other far more reaching sins as well. The issue here is that this, here's the issue. This person is walking in rebellion to the truth of God. It isn't, well, oh, they're lazy. Well, lots of people are lazy. No, no, no. It's a heart issue. When a person is walking in rebellion to God, that presents a real problem to a local church. He is out of step. That's what the word disorderly means and is to be dealt with, okay, out of step. The, the word disorderly is a military term. It's By the way, it's the same root word as what we saw in First Thessalonians, uh, where it said in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. The word unruly means who are walking deliberately out of step. Now, I remember growing up, I was one of those people who was a victim of the Gomer Pyle Show some of you remember gomer Pyle, yeah anyways you remember how the program would start you know you'd see them the the marines are marching like this and gomer's kind of he's just kind of he can't he can't keep keep stride he can't keep in line he wasn't a rebel he was just having a hard time doing it a rebel somebody who'd be unruly disorderly would be somebody who's saying you know what I'm breaking ranks with these people. I want to do my own thing. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what you say about it. I just am going to do my own thing. Now, in the local church, that's a real problem. And God says you need to deal with them. It is someone who refuses to obey and falls into ranks with the rest Uh, And fall into rank with the rest of the body. Withdrawal from a person is not something that happens as soon as they come into a church. That would be foolishness. Can you imagine? New person comes, hey, welcome. Next week they come, you're not welcome here. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Now, it's not as soon as they come to church or as soon as they get saved. These are people who have learned the truth, have been given time to understand and grow, they've been talked to, and yet they still refuse to obey the Scriptures. They're unruly. They're disorderly. All right? So let me give you several points on this. So how do you deal with these kind of people? Well... (laughs) As hard as it is to get people to church nowadays and keep them, it's usually not a problem nowadays, usually not a problem. Now now that I've said that, we'll probably have a problem with this in the near future. <laughs> but, but anyways, it's usually not a problem nowadays because I have found this. I have found uh, most people can't stand the preaching of the Word of God unless they're yearning to grow and know the Lord then those people love it, okay? So a lot of people will leave themselves because they don't want to submit to Scripture. They don't want to obey the Word of God. So they'll just leave on their own, you know, and and they go, you know, and as they go, they've got a big sign that says legalism above their head because they all say the same thing. When you don't want to obey, you just level an accusation towards that person and call them a legalist, and that supposedly takes care of it. Well, it doesn't really take care of anything. It just exposes you as a rebel. So let's look at these things. Number one, it is never easy to deal with people this way. And I want you to know that. A pastor agonizes, often for long periods of time, over sheep who will not fall in line. This is what keeps a pastor up at night. This is what leads pastors to resign from churches. By the way, this, this sometimes is what creates bad preacher's kids because they see what Christians do to their parents and it turns them off, turns them off. I'm giving you a pastor's perspective on that, okay? Now, I praise the Lord our girls weren't, weren't that way, aren't that way, and I'm, I'm very grateful about that. But nevertheless, a pastor does agonize over this, and there's nothing harder to do, okay? These situations, uh, they're not something you can talk about publicly either, because if you do, then you're going to be accused of slander. And not only accused of slander, uh, slandering others, and gossip, but nowadays, because of the boldness of society and the programming of society, you're a good chance if you publicly say something about somebody, there's a good chance they're going to sue you over that. It's our culture. But these problems go on without anyone except leadership knowing about it oftentimes, and leadership is trying to deal with it behind the scenes, trying to take care of it behind the scenes, and you you would be, you'd be You'd have chills up and down your back if you knew some of the things we've had to deal with over the years and what has taken place in dealing with some people over the years. Now, we haven't had a situation like that in a long time. And, you know, we praise the Lord for that. But nevertheless, it does happen. And it's one of, I think, one of the worst things in ministry that have to be dealt with. But it has to be dealt with. So usually no one but leadership knows about it, and when a person or a family leaves the church, then oftentimes it's a surprise to many. And so what do they do? Oh, I really like that family. And what do they do? Usually people who don't understand the whole thing, they don't understand, you know what? You just saw the tip of the iceberg. You didn't see all the other stuff. Many times what they'll do now is they'll launch an attack on the leadership. But you see, the leadership can't go public. On what went on. So, all people see is the little things sticking up. And then, those, those little things sticking up, what they do is they make their way to Facebook and other social media sites and blogs, and they rip you to shreds on those places. Okay? I've had friends of mine in ministry who have been uh, falsely accused of things uh, by people who are ignorant. Okay? I call them their. They're, they're like drive-by theologians, you know what I'm saying? And they they sit in their castle, so to speak, you know. And they're there, and anybody who even flinches a little bit uh, different from them, they just rip them to shreds all over, and it goes all over the internet, all over the blogosphere. Folks, listen, that is just sick, doing that. We're not talking about that, okay? I'm I'm getting I'm rambling a little bit. Let me get back on. On track here. Here's the point. When there are people who are rebels, you deal with them, you try to be nice with them, you try to reason with them. If they're not going to change, if they are deliberately walking disorderly, they're unruly, then you have to say, you know, we're done. We're done with you. But not only is it a church leadership thing. See, here's a problem we've had in the past in church. And again, I don't, I don't know that it goes on anymore. We've had people leave the church and then members of the church continue on supporting these people who leave the church. Well, you're undermining the authority of the local church. And yes, folks, God has given authority to the local church. Read your Bible, it's there. Read it. There's a reason that we need to stand together, and it's found, by the way, here in the text. So, number one, it is never easy to deal with people in this way. Secondly, sin affects the local church body in the same way that infection affects the human body. sin affects the local church body in the same way that infection affects the human body. Rebellious attitudes and actions have to be dealt with before they spread like a virus. And that happens in churches. We've had to deal with this at times in our local church over all the years we've been here. And it's a, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing, but it has to be. If you don't do it, you're dying. You're going to split, and everybody's going to get hurt. No one, Nothing good comes from that. Number three, the rebellious people always have a spiritual reason for their rebellion. It's amazing how that goes. Here in the context, the excuse was that they were waiting for Jesus to come back. That's why they were being lazy. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. You need to get a job, brother. You need to get a job. Oh, wait a minute. Don't you love me? What do you mean? Of course I love you. I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being godly. I'm waiting for Jesus. I believe in an imminent rapture. You see the conflict now? There's a conflict. It is not a matter of ignorance with the unruly. It's a matter of rebellion. If someone who is either directly causing trouble or is being a stumbling block to the growth of others and will not change, that's the kind of person this is talking about. They won't change. They're causing trouble, and they refuse to change. They're deliberately out of step. You have to deal with them. You have to deal with them. Okay? Hold your place here and look at Romans 16. <clears throat> <clears throat> Romans 16. I do not believe Romans 16, 17, and 18 only deals with systematic theology, like some people do. I think it's a misunderstanding of the word doctrine in Scripture. You know, a lot of people think the word doctrine nowadays is some. Uh, it it only means like you know Chaffers' systematic theology, all five volumes. And that's that's doctrine. It's that's it right there. Doctrine doesn't mean anything else. No, the word doctrine simply means teaching. Here's the truth of it: the teaching of Scripture is anything the Bible says clearly. That's the teaching. That's what it teaches. Therefore, we need to stand on what the Bible teaches. Okay, the the notion that and there's again there's a volume there's a set of books on this. The five fundamentals of the faith. The only, what I stand on is the five fundamentals of the faith. Are you kidding me? You're saying there's only five? Boy, the Bible could be a whole lot thinner if there were only five. Now, I understand there's some things that, that are, are not things that are uh, uh, matters of trying to interpret it. And there's differences with that. I understand that, okay? But there's more than five fundamentals of the faith. Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren. Here we are again, talking to Christians. Mark them, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the teaching which you have learned. And do what? Avoid them. Don't say, well, it really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What you're saying is Jesus doesn't matter. What you're saying is the truth of God doesn't matter. What you're saying is, is the Word of God and the truth that, that uh, He gave us and preserved for us to change our lives, that that doesn't matter. That just continuing on with the rebel so you can have a relationship, that's what matters more. Where do we get that? The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, again, keep, keep listening. There's a reason for all of this, and it's a good reason at the end. But you notice what Paul said, mark them, okay, which cause divisions and offenses and, uh, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them, for they that are such, this gets to the heart, this gets to the heart, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own appetites, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. See, this is the motive. They have an agenda. They want a following of their own, okay? When people don't want to conform, listen, when people do not want to conform and walk according to the word of God, it is because they want to lead. They want their own following. They want to stick out. They want the preeminence. That's why they do it. It's rebellion. It's rebellion, You notice in verse 17, the word division, it means disunion, disunion. That sounds just like uh, 2 Thessalonians. Offenses, the word offense means an occasion to stumble. In other words, they're, they're, they're taking positions and doing things that cause other people to stumble in their lives. It is translated several times as the word stumbling block. In our Bible, simply put, these people want their own way, regardless of how it affects other people. They don't care about other people; they just want their way. Don't tell them what they what they need to do. You have no right. This is what they say. This is what they think. Back to Second Thessalonians chapter three. <clears throat> Verse 7, for you yourselves know, or, excuse, excuse me, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, referring to authority as an apostle, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. He said, listen, we could say we're apostles. You're supposed to support us. And by the way, he had the same argument with the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. But here's the point. Paul says, you know, we will work and pay our own way so that we can be an example of how you're supposed to be. Yes, we can say we have authority and you should support us, but he says we're not going to do that because we want to show you how it's supposed to be in your life and according to biblical principles. See? Even though Paul was an apostle, he and those with him worked to earn their keep. And and, and their goal is seen in verse 9 to be an example. Hey, those who are unruly Never want to be a good example. They just want to do their own thing. Okay? They don't want to be like the rest. They want to stick out. Okay? They might as well, you might as well just give them a rubber stamp and just go, it says rebel, rebel across their forehead because that's what they are. That's what they are. Now, again, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Boy, would that turn our country around or what? <laughs> now, listen, this does not refer to the person who has lost their job or is in between jobs, but according to the context, it's the one who won't get a job. There's a difference. Okay, big difference. That's right, big difference. There are people who come on hard times, and we ought to be compassionate towards them. We ought to, we ought to care for them, okay? Uh, and, and help them, not help them indefinitely, help them get on their feet to where they can earn a, a living and help self, have self-respect and dignity and so forth. Never, never, never was it ever supposed to be that people are living off the government indefinitely. Okay? That's not a Republican or Democrat issue. That's a Bible issue. And this is what Paul's telling them. Hey. Now this is again, this is the apostle of grace. You don't work, you don't eat. Now, again, not, if a person can't work, that's another thing. Okay? Verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, remember, deliberately out of step, unruly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, Paul, wait a minute. They are working. They're working to be busybodies. You see? Verse 12. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work And eat their own bread. In other words, in contrast to being a busybody who's always blah, 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 okay? This is, now, keep your mouth shut and work hard instead. That's what he's telling them. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And so, number four, how do we deal with unruly Christians? We see it in verses 14 and 15. This is what this is unpopular, but this is what the Bible says, and this is how we should be. And if any if any man obey not our word by this epistle, okay, note that man and have no company with him. You don't have any company with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. Oh, that's so mean. That's so unchristian. Well, wait a minute. It's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit. You know, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, un-Christian, the Holy Spirit's the one who says to do this. Have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So he wakes up and understands the error of his way. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him or warn him as a brother. So several subpoints here. The church is to deal corporately with individuals, with the individual or group. Now, what do I mean by that? He is, Paul is talking to the entire church here. We are all obligated to do this. We are to do this as a, as a body. He, he's not talking about being mean. He's just talking about, you know what? You don't run with them anymore. One Bible said this. One Bible study notes: Idlers were to be ostracized from the company of believers in order to shame them into changing their ways. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? By today's standard, sounds very harsh. But that is the truth. If this is the biblical response for idleness, then certainly it would be fitting for the one who is causing divisions, the one who is living in sin. Okay, We do not have the time today to look at it, but sometime read 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 11. You might say, oh yeah, but that guy was committing incest. I mean, that's awful. Even the lost Gentiles weren't doing that. Wait a minute, but Paul didn't stop with that, talking about he needs to go out of the church. He says after that, and there's a whole bunch of things listed. Reasons. See, folks? God takes seriously his holiness and his purity. God expects his children to live like children of God. He doesn't expect his children to live like children of the devil. This is what this is about. If we're we're the children, if we're born of God, we ought to live like we're born of God. And if people, after time, that they've had time to learn how to be and so forth, if they, dis- if they say, you know what? Yeah, I see how I'm going to be. I don't want to be that way. I just want to go do my own thing. I know I can't be lost. I know I'm saved no matter what. I'm going to do my own thing. Then the word of God says, then just don't have anything to do with them. Okay? They are to withdraw from the disorderly ones. You see that in verse 6. The word withdraw, okay, it means to to stall or to stop, to stop fellowshipping with them is the idea, to avoid or place yourself away from a person like that, away from them. You know, you're not, we we don't get, we're not mean with them. It's never right to be mean with anybody. But it's in kindness and love, explain what the problem is so that they can see it. We are to not have company with them. The word company means to mix up together, to associate with. Uh, we are to avoid them, as we saw in Romans 16, 17, and 18, okay? E, we are not, we are not to hate them, okay? Or if you see them in a store or something, you don't go like this and walk away, okay? That's not, that's not a right response, That's not a right response. How are we supposed to be? Well, verse 15, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay? Warn him. Encourage him to do the right thing. That's what the the idea of uh, admonition is. We are to continue to warn them when we see them, verse 15. Now, the last point on this, G What is the goal? The goal is that they will see their error and repent. Okay? Now, repent, it means to have a change of mind, change in their thinking. Now, let me ask you this. Don't you think there's a better chance that that rebel will change his mind, see his error and change his mind, if the church that he was a part of, but he refused to submit to the word of God, the teaching of scriptures, that if that church corporately as a whole was unified and said, okay, this is how we're gonna deal with this brother or this sister who is bent on going the wrong way. Don't you think there'd be a better chance of that person turning around than if some of the church thought, oh, that's not very nice. Well, others may not wanna be with them, but I want to be with them you'll never get them to change their mind. Rather, what they'll do is they'll latch on to those people and say, see, there's other people that think like me. You've done them no favors. As a matter of fact, you've made their life worse. Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Okay? We are to continue to warn them when we see them. The goal is that they will see their error and repent, have a change of mind. Verse 14, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. All right? You notice that? He may be what? Wow. Oh, I cannot believe all the nasty things I have read about churches that do this and do it the right way. I know there are churches that don't do it the right way man alive. The world is going to pile on you and rip you to shreds if you take a stand on this. You shame people. You think you're better. That's what's wrong with you Christians. You guys think you're better than everybody else. Miss Goody Two-Shoes. You think you're legalistic is what you are. You're legalists. You're nasty people. That's why no one wants to be a Christian is because of people like you. What's the goal? The ultimate goal is peace. But it's on God's terms, not carnal man's. Remember, we do the right thing. And what is, why do we do it? So that they will see the error of their way and have a change of attitude and want to come back. Now, I'm just being honest with you. I would like to say, you know what? We have, we have, we have tried to follow this and do this. And man, all the people that have come back over the years. I wish I could say that. I can't. I really can't. I can think of one family that left and came back and left and came back and left and came back and left. And before they left the last time, I said, if you leave, you're not coming back. And they tried to come back. And I said, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. If you can't can't figure it out four or five times, you're not coming, okay? Because it's going to happen again. The ultimate goal is peace, but it's on God's term. You see it in verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself, give you peace. Give who peace? The Thessalonian church. Now the Lord of peace give himself give himself uh, excuse me the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means the Lord be with you all the salutation of Paul in my own hand which is the token in every epistle so I write the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, Amen. Okay, and people say, well, how can Paul say to be that way and then use the word grace? It's because you don't understand it. You need to get back into the Word and study it until it all fits. It fits. It's beautiful. Okay? The same same Jesus who saved by grace said to the woman, go and sin no more. Right? See, God wants all mankind to be reconciled back to him. He wants man to walk in fellowship with him once again and be blessed and be fruitful but God is the one who determines how that is done he wants his local church to be his hands and his feet doing what he would do what would he do he would do what the bible says that's what he would do because he's the one who told us it's what it's all about we're going to close over in a familiar passage go with me to john chapter 3 In verse 16, I've done my best tonight to try to explain this thorny issue. I hope it's made sense. I hope you see the wisdom and the balance of Scripture on this. Uh, This is hard. Dealing with people, this is hard. You know, we, we just want it all the time to be let's just hug each other and love each other, and we want everything to be good and go good and all that but we live in a fallen world and we all have a sin nature. And that's why there's problems is because we're all sinners. Aren't you glad we have a Savior though? It says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, please trust in him. He will save you he will save you. He'll give you eternal life. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and please no one looking around. If maybe today you you've never heard this. We've covered a lot of ground in this message. And maybe you've got questions. You know what? Questions are fine. We'll give you answers to those questions. But the biggest question is this. Where are you going when you die? You are going to die. Where are you going? There's only two places. There's heaven. There's hell. God wants you to go to heaven. He loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross and pay for your sin. And he did that. And he rose from the grave. And he says very simply, if you'll simply trust in his son as the one who's paid for your sins, God will give you that moment everlasting life. You become a child of God that very moment. Would you trust in Christ as your Savior? Would you do that? There's no strings attached. It's a gift, absolutely a gift. You can have it for free. All gifts are free. In the quietness of your mind, please trust Christ. Now, if tonight you've trusted Christ as your Savior, You've never understood it until tonight. Could I pray for you as we close? I won't embarrass you. And you don't have to slip up your hand. That just lets me know that it made sense to you. But I'd like to pray for you if tonight you trusted Christ as your Savior. I won't embarrass you. Is there anyone just slip it up, put it down, saying, yes, would you pray for me? I understood this finally tonight, this thing about salvation. Tonight I trusted Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone? Father, I pray for all of us Lord, we've covered a difficult passage here, uh, but it's one that's there. It's systematically laid out. The instructions are clear. As a matter of fact, a couple times, we have the word command used, that you're commanding local churches, which means Bible believers, to do this. Those of us of our local church, we have a responsibility to stand unto truth. And I pray we would do so. Thank you for the wonderful study we've had, Lord, living in light of the last days. That is what we're doing. And by your grace, Lord, we will keep doing that. To your glory, not for us, but for you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening, and would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.